Great. <laughs> oh, so fun. So, um, yeah, I want to start off by saying one simple thing, that there are two kinds of people in this world, those that are life givers and those that are life takers. Now, Fidel is a life giver, so let's hear it again for this guy right here. <laughs> Believe it or not, that actually was the opening line to my message. It just so, you know, fit so perfectly because Fidel just brings so much life to our group. But I do want to talk about that idea of being a life giver or a life taker today. We all know different people, life givers, those that, you know, people that we're in relationship with that bring a sense of love, joy, um, excitement, um, life to the relationship. And then there's, there's those people in our world that are life takers, people that we know that kind of somehow seem to drain the life, drain the love and the joy out of the relationship. And it's, it's unfortunate, but we do encounter both kinds of people, and if we're honest, sometimes we are both kinds of people. And so what I want to look at right now is, is in your guys' relationships with other people, just think about for a moment the people in your life that seem to, you know, as you engage with them, maybe these are people that you work with, people in your family, people here at Harvest, people that you go to school with, people in your life that just seem to bring life to you and to one another, there's, there's a sense of life, okay? Think about that for a moment, okay? And then find one or two other people nearby and share. Don't necessarily share who those people are, okay? We're not going to name names today because we'll be talking about life takers in a second, but um, just, just, just talking about the things that those kind of people do, okay? So no names, but one or two other people around you. Talk about the things that life givers do people that bring life to your relationship with them okay so talk about one or one or two things that those people do okay go ahead I'm so sorry to interrupt. Can I steal this? Someone took my notes from up above. Oh, these are mine. You got the answers already. Those are, those are mine. <laughs> I'm like, where are those? Oh. <clears throat> Eric's all alone over here, guys. We got to get someone to join with Eric. Come on, Eric. You can't be all alone. All right, let's wind it down. Okay. Life givers. Okay, now let's look at, now let's, now let's flip the, to the other side of the coin. Life takers. People in our life that just seem to drain us. Again, no names, all right? This is really important. But just talk about some of the things that those particular people do, okay? No names. Go. All right, let's bring it back together, bring it back together. So I'd love to hear what you guys shared, but for the sake of time, 
I'm just going to assume that there was a common denominator, okay, that for those that were life givers, that they tend to focus on the other person's needs. So if you're meeting with a life giver, they tend to focus on what you're doing, what you're going on in life. They're listening to you. Life takers, on the hand, generally tend to focus on their own needs, kind of what they're going through and their stuff, and they want you to kind of listen to them. And so we're going to see these two kinds of people, and particularly in our message today, we're going to see two particular people that stand out, and they're going to help us to answer this simple question. And that is this, is that as we look at the relationships around us, um, in life and particularly here in the church, we're going to ask the question, are we life givers or are we life takers? Looking individually, am I a life giver to those around me or am I a life taker? Do I tend to focus on others' needs, or do I tend to focus on my own needs? And so today in our passage, as we go through this Abiding in Christ series through 1 John, um, John's going to actually present us with two individuals, two people that we're going to look at. We're actually going to put ourselves into their shoes today, and we're going to be looking at one of them who is a life taker, and the other who is a life giver. And so we're going to look at that today in our passage. So if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And John is going to be giving us a picture of the first person. The first person we're looking at is a life taker. He's a life taker. Okay. So we're looking at the first person in our passage, and we're going to be at 1 John 3, starting at verse 12. The first person in our passage today is Cain from the Old Testament. Cain, he's the very first child born from the very first couple. And what we're going to see is, and ask the question is this, is we're going to say, if we live like Cain, if we live our lives like Cain, what kind of person are we going to be to one another, particularly here in our church family? And we'll see here in our first point that if we live like Cain, that we will be life takers to those around us. In other words, we tend to focus our own needs, focus on our own needs within our church family. So look at me, look with me at verse 12 and see how John presents Cain. And he says very boldly, right up front at verse 12, do not be like Cain. And then he talks about why not. Who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's really important. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Verse 13. But do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And so we see here that if we live like Cain, we are life takers to those around us. What does it mean to live like Cain? What does that look like? Because John tells us not to live like him. Well, what does it look like to live like him? Well, let's look at Cain's life. So if you have your Bibles, flip back to Genesis 4. We're just going to quickly go through the story of Cain, just the very beginning part of his life, and kind of how he began. So Genesis chapter 4 is going to give us that backstory. And what we're going to see is Cain, who again, he's he's the first person born to Adam and Eve, which is important to note because he's the first person, truly, that's been born into the fall. Adam and Eve were the first couple that that essentially brought about the fall, but Cain is the first person born into the fall, and we'll see kind of how that unfolds. And so verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, it starts off, I love how this story starts off, it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So again, firstborn is Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So Abel was in charge of the animals, Cain was in charge of the ground, plants, vegetation, wheat, grain, things like that. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits, note some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So both brothers, Cain and Abel, bring forth this offering back to God, saying thank you as a result of their labor that God's blessed them with. They're saying thank you to God and giving it back to him. Cain offered fruits and vegetables. Abel gave portions of the flock that he cared for, particularly the first fruits, the firstborn. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But see there in verse 5. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Now, notice God's relationship that he gives to Cain. In, in, uh, God's explaining basically Cain's relationship to sin when he says, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Talking about sin. Sin desires to have you, you must rule over it. Let's kind of go back through that passage and see exactly what it looks like to live like Cain. We're going to see three areas that kind of stand out of how Cain lives his life. Um, And if you look in your message notes, we're going to kind of be doing both looking at Cain's life and then looking at our life and kind of giving some perspective to to how does Cain live and how do we live in light of that. And so first we're going to see that the first way that Cain is essentially living his life in a way that he's taking life um, is through focusing on his own needs. You see, God gave Cain everything, right? He gave him life. He gave him this wonderful huge field to work on, to to work all these crops and to grow them. He gave them the rain to come down from the skies, to water, to nourish the crops so that eventually they would grow. God did all of this. God gave him two hands to harvest it all out. And what does Cain do in response? He says, God, this is for me, and here, you can have some of this leftover stuff here. You can have some of this, the aftermath of what what I have created. What does Abel do? Abel says, God, here's the best of the best, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you, my creator, my provider, and I'm going to give you the best of the best. Cain says, I'm going to hold on to the best and kind of give you the leftovers. So first we see Cain taking life, not in the literal sense, but in his way of life, through focusing on his own needs and not on others. And in fact, while I was preparing this message, um, my daughter and my girls came and visited me at work, and Rebecca um, wanted to do something for me. And so I guess they went to Sprouts. I didn't know about this. They went to Sprouts, and um, Rebecca wanted to buy me something. And so she, she went with her own money. She went and bought me a chocolate salted caramel Luna bar. Now, I don't know if you guys ever had a chocolate salted caramel Luna bar, but those are really good bars. So when I got that bar from my daughter and found out that she had paid her, out of her own money, her own little piggy bank, like, for that for me, I felt extremely blessed. I felt extremely, you know what? This is, this is a first fruits offering. This is her giving me the best of the best. It's not always like that. Usually it's like a half-eaten bar of something. Here, Dad, you want this? That's, that's typically what I get. So, again, I got to see the contrast there. And so that's kind of how we see Cain kind of saying, hey, look at my needs first and then yours. God doesn't need, God doesn't need Cain's, you know, produce. It, it's his heart. It's his heart saying, no, this is for me first. And that's the first way we see Cain um, taking life. And secondly, we see Cain taking life and how he lived um, in harboring jealousy. Harboring jealousy. Look back at verse 4. It says that the Lord, this is in Genesis um, chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord looked with favor 
on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So this is important to know what's happening here, because yes, Cain saw that, that Abel offered a better gift, but this isn't the kind of jealousy that sees what someone else gets or what someone else gives and says, oh wow, look at them, you know, that's such a great gift. No, this is actually looking deeper into the act, looking deeper into the act of what happened, because in our passage we see, it says, in verse 12 of, our, of 1 John chapter 3, it says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one, and murdered him. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions, Cain's own actions, were evil and his brothers were righteous. Here's what's happening, is Cain is actually jealous of his brother's righteousness, of the act that his brother did. And there's this deep-seated jealousy he has for him, very similar to what the Pharisees had towards Jesus. That they longed for this righteousness that Christ had, as Cain longs for this righteousness that Abel has. Now, it's, it's important to see here what happens and what he does with this jealousy, because there's two ways he can go, and God gives him the option. And so we see here, which is the third way, is that the, Cain, the way, third way that Cain takes life is in his unresolved anger. In his unresolved anger. Because it goes on to say, in light of, in light of Cain realizing what's happening, oh wow, you know, here I'm giving this gift, Abel's giving this gift, and God seems to like this gift more. What does anger do? It says, it says Cain says he was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, Anger. Anger is a really interesting topic in the Bible because we don't know always how to deal with it. But let's see how God deals with anger because Cain's angry, right? You'd think naturally the response would be from God to say, Cain, calm down now. Don't be angry, right? doesn't do that. Watch what he says. He looks back at him. He looks back at Cain and says in verse 6, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He's, he's meeting him in his anger. And then he guides them from that place in verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, yeah, okay, Cain, you blew it, okay? You gave me a pretty bad offering here. You know, Abel, he did a great job. But guess what? If you do what is right, if you can actually next time give me the appropriate offering that shows that you truly are seeing me as your God, as your creator, that really gave you everything you already have and you can trust me, then you'll be fine. But he warns him and says, if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Not only that, but it desires to have you and you must rule over. Unfortunately, Cain gave himself to this anger, as we talk about here, an unresolved anger. He never dealt with his anger. And what happened from that? We see the story goes on to say that he did, in fact, live out this life-taking manner in such a way he actually literally took his brother's life. And now when we look at Cain and we, and we see this, we see that these life-taking actions of being selfish, of, of having jealousy, of that growing into anger, eventually into murder, we look at that and we say, okay, so, so John tells us not to live like Cain, but Cain's a murderer. I'm not really a murderer. That's kind of extreme, right? Well, Jesus would disagree. Jesus would say, as he does in chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, that if you've ever been angry at your brother or sister, that you're going to be judged like a murderer. Jesus isn't necessarily focusing here on the outward act. He's talking about what's going on inside. Because the Pharisees and the, and the religious rulers of the day were all about the outside, looking good on the outside. And Jesus says, yes, that's important. We need, to, we need to love our neighbor outwardly, but it has to start inwardly. This anger thing has to be dealt with inwardly first. And so now, in light of this, let's, let's, let's kind of look deeper into this and, and ask our own, our own selves, okay, now, how am I living like Cain? How am I, in fact, living in this life-taking manner? Um, because, again, we're not active murderers per se, but if we've ever been angry towards someone, well, then we have experienced what Cain's experienced. And in fact, oftentimes what we'll see is anger doesn't necessarily take place the way that we would expect to see it like we do here. Oftentimes, 
it can be a little more suppressed. And so let's, let's now look back at the message notes and kind of move through um, these three areas. And, and you see underneath the first main point there, if we live like Cain, you'll see in my relationships, how often do I? And now just take some moment to sit with that. How often do I, first of all, right here, focus on my own needs? In my relationships with others, how often do I focus on my own needs? Okay, so one being very little, ten being Cain, essentially, okay? All the way over. So just go ahead and circle one through ten, one of those that stands out to you. In my relationships, how often do I focus on my own needs? And, and John's perspective here is, is looking in the context of church and looking in the context of our church family. So perhaps you can ask the question at, at, when I come to church or a small group, how often do I ask the question, what am I getting out of this? What is in, what is in it for me? So one to ten, go ahead and circle that, and we'll, we'll then move on to the next one. And it's this, this idea of harboring jealousy. In my relationships, how often do I harbor jealousy? Now, this is something nobody really wants to admit. None of these things we don't want to admit. I mean, let's be honest, right? Nobody wants to live like Cain, and yet we're being commanded not to live like Cain. Therefore, we probably do live like Cain to some degree. So the question is, how often do I harbor jealousy in the relationships of people around me? Again, in the context of our church body here, do I find myself talking about others behind their backs? Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm thinking overly critically about other people. It's easily justified, right? We can say, oh no, I'm just kind of processing through things. There, there are safe ways to process through, you know, jealousy. There's ways to talk about jealousy, but there's also unhealthy ways to talk about jealousy. And so where are you at on a scale of 1 to 10? And then lastly here is, is how, in my relationships, how often do I have unresolved anger? Unresolved anger. Um, again, this is where we're going to talk about anger is not always as outwardly as we would expect it, especially if it, we're talking about in the context of our church family. I know for myself, my family at home sees a little more of my anger than you all do, as would be the case for a lot of us. We kind of let things out a little more at home. We're a little messier at home, but when we come to church, we're a little more cleaned up, we're a little more put together. And so the question isn't necessarily how active are you in your anger, but perhaps how much of your anger are you pushing down? Are, is, is it unresolved? How much of your anger is being pushed down? How much of it is passive? Maybe it's ignoring certain individuals because you don't want to deal with it. Um, avoiding, ignoring. Um, perhaps the thought, as, as, as it was in John's day, was the thought of even maybe leaving the church. It's, it's so challenging, you don't want to deal with it. In John's day, many people were leaving the church for a number of reasons. And there was a warning against this, saying that's not actually the answer. The answer is to deal with it, to be a body, to work together, to work things out, as we'll see in just a moment. And so... With that said, as our first point, we've seen simply that if we live like Cain, we're life takers to those around us. Okay, that's a rather bleak look on how we can live our lives, all right? But fortunately, John ends this passage on a much brighter note. And so we're going to see here now the second person we're going to look at and say, how can we live our life like them? And for, in particular, this person is going to be Christ. And we're going to ask the question that if I live like Christ, what kind of person would I be to those around me, particularly in my church family? We'll see here that if we live like Christ, we are now going to be seeing ourselves as life givers to those around us. That contrary to Cain's style of life taking, that we'll, we'll see that Christ shows us how to focus on others' needs. And so let's follow along here um, back at 1 John chapter 3, looking at verse 16, to see the picture of Christ down here. He gives life to us. And so verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions 
and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If we live like Christ, we are going to be life givers. Christ was entirely focused on giving life to others. He committed everything he had to meeting the needs of those around him. He, in fact, bodily expressed God's very heart for mankind. And if an entire lifetime of giving of himself wasn't enough, he deviated from Cain's life-taking model with the ultimate decision to actually give of his entire life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we see here, in the culmination of, of Cain's life, it ended up in murder and taking life. And in the culmination of Christ's life, ended with him giving his life for us. He gave it through, through, again, meeting the needs of people on a daily basis, loving them, serving them, praying with them, healing them, teaching them. He journeyed with people. He wasn't afraid of them. If they had a disease, even if it was a, a, a leprous disease that he could actually get, he just sat with them. He was with them. And he gave of himself. He met the needs of others through every, daily, every single daily act that he did, but also he gave of himself through the eternal needs of everybody. We all need a Savior. We all need to be saved from our sin, as we've seen again in Cain's lifestyle. Cain didn't know any better. He was born into this life, first sinner that's ever really been born, and didn't know what to do with his anger, so he murders his brother. We all, in our hearts, are murderers. We've all been angry. And so we all need Christ's life. And furthermore, the passage goes on to say that while Christ's goal in relationship is to give life, if we claim to be in Christ and possess Christ's life within us, then the passage says that we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. As John says in verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How do we give life? How does this actually look like for us to give life to one another? For some of us, that's going to be literal. There are Christians out there in the world today dying for their brothers and sisters, physically giving of their lives. For most of us, though, it's not going to look like that. It's going to be a daily giving. As Jesus daily journeyed with people, it's going to be a daily giving of our lives to one another. So let's now look through contrasting Cain and Christ. Now let's look through the three ways we see Christ giving life in our passage and see kind of then how we can model our life more around Christ. And so the first way we see that Christ gave life is through focusing on the needs of others. Again, he asked the question, what can I do for you? Or oftentimes, as he was quoted saying, what do you want? Blind Bartimaeus comes up to him. Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. He's blind. Everybody knows he's blind. He's stumbling through the crowds. Comes to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. It doesn't say, be healed, you know, have your sight restored. He says, what do you want from me? Every single person Jesus encountered, there was a moment, there was a moment where the person actually spoke forth, here's what I want, here's what I need, and Jesus met them in that. He met them in the daily basic needs of life, and he meets us too, and that's how we're called to meet in the lives of others around us, is in the basic ways of living and caring for them, thinking about them. Second, the, way, the second way we see Christ giving life that we can model after him is through opening our hearts to others. Look at verse 17. I want to I kind of go a little deeper into this passage for a moment to see what's happening here. Because in verse 17, John writes, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, has no pity on them. Now that phrase, has no pity on them, in the Greek, it's literally to shut your heart against them. If you see someone going through something difficult, and you shut your heart against them. It says then the love of God is not in that person. 
Now, if we, as Christians, believe that God is love, God lives in us, and don't have this same pity on people, essentially, in essence, what we're doing is we're closing our hearts to them. Um, I picture just this, this, this kind of immovable force. When we shut our hearts, we can no longer engage with the person. That I think what is happening here is, is basically an opportunity to be with others and what it is that they're going through. Because if we first see their needs as more important than ourselves, then what we can do is, as we open our heart to them, we can actually be with them in what it is that they're going through. It says in verse 13, Do not be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. In other words, we're claiming to be a part of, of a religious movement, of, of being Christ followers, right? Christ is very much opposed to the way that the world is going. And so it says, if, if, you know, we know that the world hates us. In fact, all of us are hated by the world to some way, shape, or form. If we follow Christ, the world hates us. How much more then do we have to have our hearts open to one another? And that's what this passage is getting at. We have to have our hearts open. So what does that look like practically, to have our hearts open to one another? Well, if we're truly setting aside our needs for the other person's needs, it's going to be to actually listen to them. It's going to be to actually engage and hear their heart and be open to what their heart is going through. And how do we do that? Well, even more practically, and this is as practical as you could possibly get, John goes on to say, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Perfect timing, Daniel. There you go. See, look at that. Actions, right? Um, let, ah, that was great. Yeah, I, plan, I planned that. So, so, letting us love, not in words or speech, but in actions and in truth, and actually actively living out this love. Now, now, John's saying something here that we don't really like to talk about, okay? Giving of our material possessions, okay? Now, in Orange County, we live in a very affluent society. There's money everywhere. If you look up online, the average median household throughout the entire country, throughout the entire nation, somewhere around $54,000 a year. Every household makes about $54,000 per year on average. In Irvine, that number is up around $92,000. We have a lot more money in our environment, in our culture, in our county, in our city, and yet we don't really like to talk about money. But that's exactly what John's getting at here. If you see somebody in need and you have possessions, give those possessions, whether it's in money or it's in other ways, shapes, or forms. Give those. In fact, there are many people that are in need right here. Families Forward, Second Harvest, these are organizations that exist to meet the needs of people that are hurting right around us. And so verse 18, when he says, put your, um, he says, do not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, it's saying what I almost just said, which is put your money where your mouth is. It's saying, own up to what you confess and give. Give to those that are in need. Our family has been tremendously blessed by people here at Harvest, both in, in monetary forms as well as in material possessions. We've had a number of baby clothes and toys and so many fun things, and it's been such a blessing. It's always just encouraged us to want to actually give more to those around us. It's contagious, and that's how I think it's supposed to be in a church family environment, and that's what, that's what John's getting at here. And so, so for, for us, it's, it's a little tricky to talk about this, to talk about giving of money, but that's what John's giving here, is the freedom to talk about it. Verse 17 and 18. Okay, so remember this. 1 John chapter 3, 17 and 18 gives us freedom to talk about money. In fact, he commands us to talk about money because he's saying, give it. You must give it. Otherwise, the love of God isn't in you. And so what do we do with this? Well, fortunately, we have a wonderful church body that's comprised of elders and deacons with awesome church leadership. For those of you out there, 
Thank you so much. And, and for, those, for those leaders, those are the people that we can come to and, and ask, say, hey, I would love to give. Who can I give to? Um, they, know the, they know the needs of the body. They know the needs of the congregation. And say, who, who can I help out? Who can I support? Who can I serve? And on the opposite side, right, vice versa, if you are in need, talk to the elders and deacons. It can be hard to talk to people about this, but that's what they're here for. That's what they're here for. So, so I actually kind of give the, the elders and deacons the freedom to give an actual application to this message today. How can you, how can you give? How can you bless others? Talk to, talk to our elders and deacons, because that's, that's what they're here for. But remember, for all of us, as we see in scripture, it's better to give than to receive anyway, so we're actually the ones, if we're giving, we're the ones being blessed. We're the ones being blessed as we give to others. And so now let's take some time just to reflect as we've kind of hit through these three main areas on, on now looking at the life of Christ. Let's look at these three areas and say, okay, now in light of my own life, in my, light of my own self, if we live like Christ, we are life givers to those around us. And the question is, in my relationships, how often do I focus on others' needs? Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like Christ, how often do I focus on others' needs? As you come to church or join a part of your small group, you come in asking the question, what can I give to you? What can I bring here? Let's go ahead and circle that now, scale of 1 to 10. And then secondly, there we see in my relationships, how often do I open my heart to others? How often do I sit with someone, truly with the intent, to get to know that person, to hear what it is that they're going through, to be with them in their journey? How often do I kind of let go of myself? Now, this is important. I want to make a note here. Jesus was others-focused. It doesn't mean he didn't take care of himself. He still took care of the basic needs of life, and he still got up early in the morning, it says, to spend time with his heavenly Father. He still poured, he got poured into, but that throughout his day, as he met with someone face-to-face, he said, how can I serve this person? How can I love this person? How can I be with this person? How can I listen to this person? And so for yourself, think about that. How do I open my heart to others? How am I truly sitting there not thinking, how can I get my message across to them, but how can I be with them and what they're going, and what they're going through? So on a scale of 1 to 10. And lastly, and again, I think the most practical in my relationships, how often do I give material possessions? Now again, money is a, is, is a can be, it doesn't have to be, it can be a tricky thing to talk about. Um, Jesus actually talked almost more about money than anything else. Um, money's something that is around all of us. It surrounds us. We think about it. We don't want to think about it, but we do think about it. Um, this passage here isn't talking necessarily about giving on a Sunday morning. We talk about tithes or offerings, which there really isn't an official number. We're kind of taking stuff from the Old Testament when we talk about a 10% tithe. I see it more as a general, ideal, recommended amount of giving to the church. Uh, I know for myself and our family, we try as hard as we can to give above 10% because I know my own heart when it comes to money. I know my own desire to want to hold on to it. The more I give, the more it doesn't have that weight over me. The more I give, the more I'm freed from it. So I give partly for that motivation, but ideally giving because I know that this is all God's anyway. And so for all of us today, let's ask the question to ourselves, okay, first of all, do I, am I giving to the church? Because that would be the first place to begin, is am I actually giving an offering to the church? But above and beyond that, am I seeking out people that are in need? How do I do that? How do I journey with others who may be going through a difficult situation in the season of life? How can I bless them? How can I be with them in what they're going through and practically help them? 
And so think about that for a moment. If you haven't already, and go ahead and circle one of those, one through ten. And so today we've been given a choice in this life, right? We started off by saying that there are two kinds of people in this world, life takers and life givers. I think hopefully as we've gone through this message and as you've done your circling and looked at the notes, you've seen that maybe you're possibly a little bit of both. And that's probably where we're all at, right? We desire to be more like Christ, but at the same time, we still need to hear the command, do not live like Cain. And so for all of us, let's kind of now sit with that for a moment of how can I, in fact, start to shape my life to be less like Cain, more like Christ, less like a life taker and more like a life giver. We're going to transition now into communion. And as we do that, I wanted to um, just encourage all of us because, again, this isn't, the weight of this doesn't fall on us. This begins and ends with God. It begins and ends with Christ because we see Jesus, who is the ultimate life giver, giving his life in the most incredible way through giving on the actual cross. He gave his life so that we can have life. And he gave us life so we can share his life with others. So in our passage today, we see that this can be done in the most practical way through the giving of material possessions. And now as we do communion, let's all receive the most valuable material possession we could ever hold in our hands. The bread and the cup that symbolize Christ's body and blood. Let's first receive Christ's life before we give of our own lives to others. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. We'll pass out the bread and cup as a reminder of what Christ did for us. So let's have the um, ushers come forward. going to pray a blessing over our communion and then we'll pass it out. Heavenly Father, we um, see the contrast. We see what you've given us, um, the choice to live like Cain or to live like Christ. And we long to live uh, like Christ to give life to others. But it does have to start with receiving your life first. So Jesus, will we now take this and remember what it is that you've done for us on the cross. Bless this um, Bread, bless this cup, and let this be a reminder to all of us in this time of what it is that you've done for us on the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we trust you that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you come. And we thank you for your death because, Jesus, it's through that death and through that death alone that we can have life and we can give life. 
So now I just pray for each person here, myself included, Lord, that we would take what we've heard today, trust God that you will move us in a way that is life-giving, that we would always first receive your life so that we can then go and give to others, starting right here in our church body and then move out through the world. Thank you so much, Jesus, and pray all of this in your name. Amen.